Welcome to Life Church of Mobile's audio podcast. We hope that this teaching will challenge you in any season of life you may be in. Thanks for joining us and enjoy. Thank you, thank you, Lord. It's all about you, Lord. And Jesus, we thank you with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and all of our soul and our strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I tell you, God is really speaking to you guys. Um, the message that's going to come today, is so many points of this is going to come out. Um, you know, with Gideon, of course, you know about Gideon, as Janet was talking about, this guy was threshing wheat at a wine press. Uh, he was in a little spot about this big doing something that typically is in an open space as big as this room because he was afraid. But ultimately, guess what? He obeyed God. He obeyed God. The presence of God was on him and he obeyed God. I want to start off today in worship. God can speak to you in worship. Do you know that? You know God can speak to you in worship. He can heal your life. He can touch you in worship. I know in 1998, I used to come to this church and around 1998 or so I came. I wasn't living for the Lord. I'd sit right back there. I talked about it the last time I spoke and... Um, and I remember he spoke to me in 1998 when I wasn't living for him really, but he spoke to me in worship. Normal, he told me in 1998, and it's not like he said, Robbie. <laughs> Sometimes it's an impression on your spirit, you know. And in that impression, I felt like he told me, one day you're going to be a part of the ministry at this church. And in my heart, I was like, man, there ain't no way. But when God speaks to you, and in your mind, you think there's no way. And the people around you say there's no way. Oftentimes, that's God. Amen? And I remember about two weeks ago, I was sitting over there, and, and I was asking God, about a month ago, Brother Scotty asked me to, to preach and minister. And I said, Lord, what do you want me to share? Just please, you know. And he gives it to me piece by piece. And I was sitting over there. And again, it was that impression. And he said two words. He said, legacy. And he said, giving. Legacy and giving. So we're going to talk about Legacy today, and giving, and some other great things. Legacy, the definition, anything that is gifted, handed down, endowed, or conveyed from one person to another. Now, that can be money, that can be things, that can be ideas, that can be actions, that can be the anointing. Many of you probably are thinking about uh, Elijah and Elisha in 1 Kings 19.19. Elijah went up to Elisha and threw his cloak around him, representing the anointing, the passing of the anointing. We all have the same mission. Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and preach. Share the good news to all creation. We all have that same mission. Amen? Amen. To share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But guess what? He gives each of us an individual vision on how to accomplish that mission. Without a vision, the people perish. He's got an individual vision for each of you. Each and every last one of us. God speaks to you. Now, let me say this. You know God speaks to you, right? You know we don't have to wait for the priest to go into the Holy of Holies, into the temple, and wait for him to come out and tell us something. Because that veil has been torn in two. And now the same presence of God that came upon the Ark of the Covenant lives inside of you. God speaks to you. The Holy Spirit directs you. He guides you. This leads me to one of my favorite scriptures. Romans 14, 4. Who are you to judge another servant? 
to his own master, he stands or he falls. Who is my master, Norville? Jesus Christ. God is my master. I'm going to listen to him. Whatever he tells you to do, that's what you do. I don't have to listen to him and to him and to her and to him and to him and to her and to her and to him. I listen to my king and kings of Lord of Lords. What has he told you to do? And for each of us, that's going to be an individual message. That's going to be an individual responsibility. It's going to be a vision that he gives you. Are we going to walk in that vision? Now, let me tell you, oftentimes when he gives you a vision, other people aren't going to understand it. I remember there was a, there was a pivotal time in my life. I just finished my, my degree in, in Christian ministries. And I know what man was telling me to do. Uh, and even the, the church, ministers were telling me to do. I had two choices. There's the two choices. All right, Robbie, here's your two choices. You can take one of these youth pastor jobs or you can go to Boston to this divinity school. That's what I was told. Those are your two choices. And I remember walking in my dorm, gloomy dorm. They had the, the area where guys were watching TV. Only, there's only one place for TV. You couldn't have a TV in your dorm room. And I remember walking by that, and I was in this time of indecision. Where am I going to go? Am I going to go to Gordon-Conwell? Am I going to take this youth pastor job? What am I going to do? And I walked by that TV, and I heard this guy preaching. I never heard him preach. Just heard a guy preaching. And I felt that impression of the Holy Spirit who speaks to you, right? And he said, I want you to go to his church. I didn't know who it was. I looked over and looked on the screen. It said Rod Parsley. So I looked up whoever Rod Parsley was. I looked up his, that he had a Bible college. And when I was looking at it on the screen, God said, that's where you're to go. Now, when I shared that with the world, when I shared that, I say the world, I say with family, friends, other pastors and leaders, they're like, why? It's a non-accredited Bible school. You just got a degree in Christian ministries. Four-year degree. Why are you going to go up to Ohio to a non-accredited school? I tell you, I don't know what it is, but some re- for some reason, blindly, when God gets hold of me, it happened when I was 18, it happened at this point when I was 22, when God tells me to do something, the more people say I shouldn't do it, the more I know it's God. And I remember sitting, I shouldn't say that, but I remember a lot of people just looking at me, shaking their head. So I went. And I'll tell you, the first time they had their first meeting, I knew that I had done what God told me to do. There was about a thousand of us in this old church that had been their first church. And they said, all right, stand up, lift your hands, and thank God you're here. And when I lifted my hands, it was the first time I've ever tangibly felt the presence of God. I'd accepted a call in ministry. I'd never tangibly felt God's presence. I didn't know what it was to feel the presence of God, to feel the anointing of God. And at that point, buddy, it was like, wow. You ever felt that thing just go, like some of you felt it earlier, just all over your body, all just tingling everything in a part of you. And I've been able to sense and feel God's presence every day since. But it was that step of obedience. And I'm going to go ahead and get ahead in my notes and go ahead and tell you this. It was a step of faith because I obeyed. Let me tell you about faith. We've all heard the definitions, the evidence of things hoped for, the substance of things not seen, grasping the unrealities of hope, bringing them into the realm of reality. We've all heard those things, right? God gave me a new definition this week. This is a new definition. You take a step of risk, but you know God's got your back. You take a big step of risk, but you know God has got your back. 
That's faith. You hear from God. You get a word. He's told you to do something. You take the step of risk, but you know God's got your back. And honestly, when that happens, a lot of times you can't count on a lot of people to give you an encouragement because it's between you and Him. And I hate to say this, I love my wife. And you know what? You may not get encouragement from your spouse either because it's between you and God. She's encouraging. She's great. She's wonderful. She's right here. I love her to death. All right? It wasn't, I said it earlier, but it wasn't about you personally, okay? She's wonderful. She's very encouraging. She's wonderful. Okay. I think I got in trouble. Okay, anyway. I'm going to show you a picture here. It's kind of a collage of different things that in different, different ways God has spoken to me something. You know, when I was 18, he called me to, to preach and to minister. I know there's a calling there. I know he's called me to, to love the people of Israel, not only the Jewish people, but the Arab people. There's a, there's a heart there. I have a heart to teach. I love to teach young people and older people and middle-aged people. I'd love to teach all kinds of people. I even like teaching little babies. Well, my kids, you know, the little ones. I go in and teach a story to Asa. Well, I'll tell you later about the story about uh, the little children came to Jesus. I've turned that into a children's story. But anyway, I love to teach little kids. And then also, for some reason, God has told me to research finance and markets and uh, investing. I don't understand that. Please don't. It's a very uncomfortable area for me. I've done it for seven or eight years. I don't know how it fits into the picture. It's just for some reason a part of what God's called me to do. But that's between me and Him, right? Does He have a plan? Does He have a legacy to use that with? And legacy, guys, is not about money. It's just not about money. Now, it is about money for some of you. Because, again, he speaks to you individually. But for others, it's actions. It's, it's that step of obedience. It's doing what he's called you to do. I'll talk about this guy just for a minute. You all know who he is. Uh, he's a man just like me. We all make mistakes. But I tell you, I admire him because he lives what he says. He lives what he preaches. He lives what he teaches. And, uh, and that's Coach Skoda. And some pretty phenomenal things have happened over the last couple of weeks. Every morning I see him in the teacher's lounge before his first class. And honestly, what he's there, he's seeking the Lord, seeking the Holy Spirit to guide him about what's the next thing he's going to say when he walks into that class. Well, a few weeks ago we had some issues here in the city with the whole Yik Yak business, that texting service that kids can send and be anonymous completely. And the Lord gave him a word. And he went in and shared his Bible class and said, Guys, this is what we're going to do. We're not going to do an anonymous uh, text, we're going to do a, we're going to write on a color sheet of paper what we feel about somebody. It's going to be positive. We're going to put their name on it, our name on it, and we're going to stick it on the hall in the school. It was a word from God. It was an obedience, and he was obedient. Although some people may say, what are you doing? He was obedient. Now that now is spread all down the hall, not only in the high school, it's in the middle school, it's in the elementary, and guess what? It's on the LA Times. It went as far as the LA Times talking about that act of obedience that he did. When God tells you to do something, sometimes our mind's thinking, why are you doing that? Sometimes people around us will say, why are you doing that? But if God is in it, God can take it places you can never imagine. And God took an act of a coach, a Bible teacher, at a school in Mobile, Alabama, and now it's on the L.A. Times. Look what God can do. Now, ultimately, as we talk about legacy and we talk about these things, what I want you to do is I want you to, the very focal point of it should be this picture right here. This should be the focal point. This right here. As Christians, we are called to serve. We are called to wash others' feet, figuratively, symbolically. We are called to treat others better than ourselves. In everything we do, 
That is the picture that I want you to focus on. Mr. Skelton has that above his office, behind him. Matthew 19.30. I love this passage. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be greatest then. NIV says the first will be last, and many who are last will be first. It's about servanthood. It's about giving all that you have for the kingdom of God. God sees you. He knows you. Your name is inscribed on the palm of His hand. He knows where you go. He knows when you go right. He knows when you go left. He loves you and He has a plan for your life. Don't forget that. Now I want to talk about faith and obedience as it's connected with legacy. And I want to talk about a guy the other day about a... Two weeks ago, and this is God, I think. God's doing something. I want to talk about Nehemiah. I left the first service, and um, I saw Pete Merwick, and Norval was talking to him. And it was about a week ago that Pete sat down, and God directed him to read all of Nehemiah too. And he's preaching that over there. There's something about Nehemiah today, guys. Well, let me tell you about Nehemiah. Nehemiah, uh, of course, was a Jew. He, had, he, had, he was a cupbearer for Artaxerxes I around 450 B.C., and this was about 150 years after Jerusalem had been destroyed, the temple had been destroyed uh, by the Babylonians. Artaxerxes is a Persian emperor, and he is serving him as his cupbearer. Now, that is not a lowly position. A cupbearer was a high position because you were right there with the king, with the emperor, and you got a chance to personally speak and interact with the emperor. So it was a high position. God put Nehemiah there. Well, God spoke to Nehemiah and told me and to Nehemiah, I want you to go back to your land. Now, he was in Iran, present-day Iran today. I want you to go back to your land, go back to Jerusalem, and I want you to build the walls. Nehemiah spoke with the emperor. He had favor with him. The emperor not only gave him the permission to do it, but gave him a letter that would protect him, gave him another letter that would give him the materials to build it. And we all say, amen, Nehemiah built the wall. But that's not the whole story, guys. He was obedient. He took that step of risk and that step of faith. But was it easy? It's not always easy when God tells you to do something. When he got there, opposition right and left. There were Ammonites. There were all kinds of people who kept saying, what are you doing? The temple is in ruin. The houses are in ruin, or some of you say, well, Ezra already built the temple. Actually, archaeology is showing now that the temple was built a little bit after Nehemiah built the walls. So, it's all in shambles. The houses are in ruins, the temple is in ruins, and he starts to build this wall. And you probably in your picture say, oh, that was a grand wall. No, he got the Jews together. And some of the Jews were treating their own Jewish people poorly. They had high debts. They were charging them all kinds of things. Some of them were starving to death. He got them together and said, look, you're going to treat your other folks right. You're going to cancel their debts. You're going to treat them right. We're going to work together for 54 days. We're going to build this wall. And we're going to do it as unto the Lord. Symbolically about being obedient to God. He's going to bring the Jewish nation together. So he did it. Now let me show you this wall. In Nehemiah 4 verse 3. Tobiah the Ammonite, this is a guy in opposition, said, What are they building? If even a fox climbed up on that wall, he could break it down. 
It's like a little wall of little stones. If a fox got on it, it'd fall down. So why are they building a wall of little stones? Now, this is a much better wall you see here than what they had. That little wall was about to fall down. Why are they building a wall that could almost fall down? It's because God told him to. Now, you fast forward 500 years from that, from that point, and you see this. You see a wall where a foundation stone is so heavy that Titus in 70 A.D. couldn't even move it and had to leave it, and it's there right now. It's symbolic that if God tells you to do something, you may can't see the future, but he's got a plan. And he wants to leave a legacy. And your name is in this Bible. And your name represents not what you did at that moment, but what God's going to do with it in the future. You know, Kim Clement says, I'm somewhere in the future and I look much better than I look right now. You do, but you've got to take that step of faith today. So you can see that tomorrow. So you can see that fulfillment of that tomorrow. And you may not visibly see it that tomorrow, but your children and children's children might. You'll see it in heaven definitely, and God will honor you in heaven for it. Faith, take a gigantic risk, but God has your back. Now some of you are saying, well you can talk about legacy all you want, Robbie. I'm just hurting. I'm just hurt. I can get past my hurt. Well, this was for you. Earlier, that was knowing of the Lord, the whole coming forward. I, you know, it's just this God. Just listen to the Lord. This is for you. Now, the city, talking about Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 4. Now, the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. The houses were in ruins. Nehemiah 8, verses 1 and 6. But all the people assembled as one man in the square. And all the people bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They started to worship with a little wall around them made of stones that if a fox got on top, it'd fall down. All around them were the ruins of the temple. All around them were the ruins of the houses. But guess what they did? They worshipped. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. Nehemiah 9.3. Now I want you to listen to this. You know when you should worship? You should worship when there's ruins all around your life. When you are surrounded by ruins, when you're surrounded by weakness, when you're surrounded by pain, that's the time you should worship and praise God. You can't wait until everything's great. You worship when everything's not so great. And you let God take you out of the midst of that situation. Those Jewish people worship even in the midst of ruins. And now they have their own country back. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. And it's a great purpose. And it's a wonderful purpose. The Lord reveals visions in worship. The Lord gives instructions in worship. And the Lord will strengthen your faith while you worship. Now, let's jump over to giving and wealth. Now, don't get quiet on me. Now, we can all give something, can't we? You know, I, I love the scripture that says, The Lord loves a cheerful giver. Give what you purpose in your heart to give. You know, giving is a heart thing. It's a heart thing. And we got some great hearts in this house. 
We've got some hearts that listen to God. And again, to each one's own mastery stands or falls. Your giving is between you and God, not between you and me. Can I get an amen on that? Now, this is just a little symbolic thing. We got the grocery bags, right? Go home. Symbolic to have to worship. Go home. It's spring cleaning anyway. Clean out your pantry. Something that's been sitting there for a while. Pop it in there and bring it next week. Let's fill that pantry up so Gloria don't have to ask about it for the next year. Can we do that? Help me with that. That's just a part of it, okay? A little plug in there. Giving and wealth. And this is one of my favorite scriptures, and many of you have heard it over and over again, but I'm going to read it again. Luke 21, 1 through 4. And this is Jesus talking. Just then, Jesus looked up and saw the rich people dropping offerings in the collection plate. Then he saw a poor widow put in two pennies. He said, the plain truth is that this widow has given by far the largest offering today. All these others made offerings that they'll never miss. She gave extravagantly what she couldn't afford. She gave her all. Luke 21, 1 through 4. I want to put giving in perspective in a minute. Many of you have seen the giving pledge that's been pushed by uh, Warren Buffett and Bill Gates. Of course, Warren Buffett is worth in the 50, 60 billion range. Uh, Bill Gates is worth in the um, 70, 80 range. The giving pledge is basically they're going around to the wealthiest people in the world and asking them to give at least 50% of their wealth. And there's all this hype on it. There's all this big, we're going to escalate them and talk about how wonderful they are to give half of their wealth. Well, if they give half of their wealth, let's say Warren Buffett gives. Okay, Warren Buffett's giving 99% of his wealth away to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. That is a great thing. But the 1% is still $700 million. And I'm going to read that scripture again. What I just read, it said, The plain truth is that this widow has given by far the largest offering today. All these others made offerings that they'll never miss. She gave extravagantly what she couldn't afford. And I'm not trying to knock what they're doing I think is great, but as Christians, we are to give extravagantly. We are to give of ourselves, to be servants, to be obedient to whatever God tells us to do. If it's that's with our money, if it's that's with our time. You know, God blesses the work of your hands. Let me say that too. You want wealth? Well, go to work and He'll bless the work of your hands. I mean, I don't want to be ugly. But there's a work element. There's a faith element. There's an obedience element. But there's also a work element. And He will bless it. God has given ideas. of Some of you have ideas that you put on the shelf. Take it off the shelf. If you know God gave it to you, you need to take it off that shelf and do what He has told you to do with it. Any of you know Joanna and Susanna? You probably don't remember their names, but guess what? Their legacy is in this right here. Joanna and Susanna. Turn to Luke chapter 8, verse 3. Luke chapter 8, verse 3. And it reads, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, and Susanna, and many others, many of these were women. These women were helping to support them, that is actually Jesus and his disciples, out of their own means. Luke 8, 3. They gave obediently to Jesus. And in in an environment, and in a time when some people thought Jesus 
was an imposter. They didn't think Jesus was the Messiah. They thought he was an imposter. They thought he was a cult leader. But they heard from God, and they gave from their means, and they gave to the disciples, and they gave to Jesus so they didn't have to worry about money. Did those ladies leave a legacy? Those ladies are written where? And the people that are in this book, the names, they either have left a positive legacy or a not-so-positive legacy, but they're in the book. What is the legacy that you will leave? Barnabas sold a field he owned. He brought the money from the sale, and he put it at the apostles' feet. Acts 4.37. Matthew 6.20. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. You know, ever since I've been a kid, I've known what it is to give. And I, I want to thank my mom and dad for that. My dad and my mom modeled that ever since I was a kid. I was like six years old. And my dad said, you got that birthday money, you're going to give 10% to God. And I was like, oh, I don't know. He said, well, son, you are going to give 10% to God. Okay, there was no choice. He had a little uh, white offering tithing envelope that he filled out on Monday and he put it on top of his dresser to make sure I could see it every time I walked in the bedroom. And I went back for Christmas last year, and guess what? It's still up there, okay? All his life. And so that was modeled to me that you just give. You give even when you, I'll say, you give when you even can't afford to give. You can't afford not to give. You know, two, questions, two, two comments on that. I, I remember Lester Summerall, right before he died, he spoke to a group of us like six months before he passed away. You may not know him or may know him. And he started this big church somewhere in South America uh, in a place where everybody's poor, uh, very, very poor. And um, he said, y'all need to give. Now, listen, this is him talking, but they were poor. They didn't have, didn't have you know, money, currency like we use. They're so poor. And he said, look, if you don't give, you're just going to stay poor. So he said, you need to give. And so he went and had some chicken coops built out behind the church. And he said, all right, if you've got 20 chickens... Next week, you're going to bring two chickens. You're going to tithe your chickens. Now, a lot of us are saying, well, that's just kind of extreme. Well, you know that church is now like a mega church in a poor area, and those people aren't poor anymore? You know? Again, I'm not trying to put condemnation or anything on you. I mean, you just got to be obedient to whatever God tells you to do. I mean, we live, and you've heard it before, you, you guys live in, in the, one of the most wealthy nations on the planet. Even the poor in America are not poor around the world. I mean, I, I've got this little thing. I show the kids in the classroom, and I show different places around the world where, you know, they make $500 a year. I mean, you are rich. They call you rich. You go certain places, because you are. You may not imagine yourself that, but you are. You have so many things to be thankful for. You just have no idea. We have no idea. We, we are like the top 1% of the world. We are. You know, and sometimes it's, it's hard to give. I, I, I remember, and I, I didn't share this in the first service, but, you know, I remember when Lindsay and I got married, we were, I guess we could say, we, okay, spiritually, <laughs> spiritually we weren't poor, but materially we were poor. And, of course, that's not anybody's business. That's between us and God. We didn't share it. We didn't come out telling everybody about it. We just picked ourselves up from our bootstraps and asked God to help us, and we gave. You know, I remember we got married. I had no health insurance. I was making like 17000 a year. Lauren, Lindsay was a server. We're renting the house. We got debts. And then she calls me and says she's pregnant. We were married. Okay, we were married. All right. <laughs> and 
And I was just like, she was like, are you, she calls me. Why do you call me to tell me the first time that I'm having a kid? She calls me. She said, like, what do you have to say? And I'm like, I mean, as a man, the first thing I thought was, I don't have health insurance. I didn't think, whoa, I'm having a baby. You know, it was, I'm going to go pay for that. But we gave. We tithed. And, and, of course, you know, we, there's, a, there's a big thing we're working on right now, and, and you're going to hear about it in September. And uh, a part of that is we're going to be, um, I'm not going to even tell you, it's a big thing we're working on, okay, for the whole church, all right? You're just going to be like, that's not even fair, Robbie, you can't do that. But, but anyway, I'm, in, that, in that, there's going to be a, a video thing that Lindsay and I are going to share our testimony uh, of how God brought us from that point to where we are today. And, and I, I believe there's, a, there's an anointing on giving, and there's an anointing on being faithful for what God puts in your hands. And I'll just give you a taste of that. God, God told us to get out of debt. And look, uh, this, this isn't a, a, a money time, but I'll tell you, if you've got to have a debt, the only one you should have is your home. All right, you can get mad at me. I don't care. All right? Just go ahead and you can write some nasty notes to me. But the only debt you should have if you've got to have one is your home. And God told us to get rid of all of our consumer debt. And I'm not going to tell you much we make. Again, that's not your business, but it's not exuberant. Okay? And, and what, what did we have to get rid of? Like, $45,000 or something? About $45,000. And that's a lot of money for us, guys. Let me tell you something. We sacrifice, well, a lot of money for everybody. We sacrifice, buddy. We Couponing, clothes at Goodwill, no vacation, sold my car. I loved my car. <laughs> sold my car that had payments and bought me something that I could pay cash for. But in a year and a half, baby, we paid off $45,000. Let me tell you, and we gave like God told us to give in the process of that. If you are faithful with little, God will give you more. But you got to be faithful with that little. you got to honor that little. you got to work. God blesses the work and the sacrifice of your hands. Oh, I'm preaching. Okay. Woo. I don't know who that's for. I didn't, say, I didn't share that in the first service. That's for somebody here today. God can get you out of your financial mess. God can get you out of your financial mess, but you got to do your part. you got to pick yourself up with your bootstraps. Pull it up, guys. Pull it up, ladies. Sacrifice and make it happen. And then you will walk out of that with your head held high saying, God brought me out. And now I can do what he has called me to do. Nothing's going to hold me back from where he wants me to go. Amen. Okay, okay, okay. I'm getting, okay, let me get back here. Woo. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of, let me tell you, that's not my personality, by the way, if you don't know. But if God gets a hold of you, it don't matter what your personality is, does it? It doesn't matter, does it? He can take you out. He can turn you into something you didn't think you ever could be. Well, I'm not a salesman. Well, he can turn you into a salesman. Well, I can't make money in that. Well, guess what? He might just help you make money in that. Well, I can't be an inventor. Well, maybe God can help you be an inventor. Okay, let me get back over here. I don't... Woo! Lord, hallelujah. All right, Proverbs 13, 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. That's all I'm going to say. I don't have any comments except uh, it's in the Bible. Now, some of you are saying, well, can I just leave it? To my grandchildren and nothing to my kids. Look, that's between you and God, okay? But a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Lastly, the last point about legacy. I feel like this is from the Lord. 
the Lord said, I want you to share with them, leave a legacy in the lives of kids. Amen. That's your kids. That's your grandkids. That's your great-grandkids. That's orphans. If you don't have kids, that's fostering. That's mentoring. That's coaching. That's teaching. That's nursery. That's toddlers. Leave a, leave a legacy. Teach them. Allow the, door, allow the Lord to put you in opportunities to, to minister in the lives of kids that you, you never imagined. Here in the Giving Pledge, they have, a, they have a, uh, a thing that they put out there about the Giving Pledge. As you see right in the center there, one of the focal points of the Giving Pledge of these billionaires is children. Is children. You know, Jesus, uh, we've all heard the story before that um, the little children, when Jesus was healing people, and these little children came up, and they wanted to touch Jesus. And the disciples said, go away. Tried to shoo him away. You know, I'm reminded, this is actually one of our favorite, well, it's one of my son Asa, he's five years old, one of his favorite stories. He always said, I want Jesus' story. So I've kind of had to Asa-fy the story, okay? Can I Asa-fy it for you a little bit? That's my son's name, Asa, okay? Is that all right? So, so I said, oh, okay, Asa. Well, one day, little Billy Bob and little Stinky Boy and little Smelly Boy and little Crazy Boy came up and wanted to see Jesus. And the disciples said, go away, you little smelly boy. And Jesus said, no, I love smelly boy. I love stinky Bob. I love crazy boy. I love little girl who, 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 who looks crazy. I love him. Let them come to me so I can pray for them. Jesus says, let the little children come to me. For such is the kingdom of God. Such is the kingdom of God of heaven. Hey, they got it going on better than these adults do. They've got the right attitude of faith. They've got the attitude of encouragement. They've got a smile on their face. They know what the joy of the Lord is. They want to touch Jesus. They're walking examples of what I want to see in the kingdom of God. You let them come to me for such is the kingdom of heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, you can learn something from a kid. You ever been discouraged? You ever been frustrated? Well, go spend some time with some kids. And that frown will be turned upside down. I'm telling you something. I know this is from the Lord. And look, if you don't have kids, you don't have grandkids, we got all kinds of kids over there, okay? We will put you with those kids. And look, you're going to be a blessing to them, but they're going to be more of a blessing to you than you are to them. I can speak from that from experience in so many different situations in my life. Leave a legacy in the lives of kids and whatever it is God tells you to do with that. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Teach your children. As my dad did, put that tithing envelope on that dresser and let those kids see it. Let those kids see you pray. Sometimes, a lot of times I try and go in private, but the other day, or my house is crazy. Uh, across the street, they call it the girly zoo. You know, our friends do because how crazy it is. We have three kids. We have a, uh, how, what are they? We have a three-year-old, a five-year-old, and a wonderful, beautiful eleven-year-old. Okay, she's she's right there, and and it gets crazy. Well, the other day, you know, I'm just like, you know what? I went up the back porch. I sat down in the chair. It's a little dark. I thought I could hide, and I started praying. Well, next thing, it wasn't like thirty seconds. Daddy, daddy. And I, I said, Asa, I'm praying. And he just kind of looked at me, and I, and I kept praying. And I saw him kind of corner my eye. He, he, he kind of went over to the other chair, 
and he sat there for like a minute or two. Then he ran out in the, into the yard. Then he came back. He said, Daddy, I pray too. <laughs> Don't be shy about praying around kids. Don't be shy about doing and being who God's called you to be around your kids. They need to see it. Now, I, this is a real strange thing to say, this next thing, but I really felt like the Lord wanted me to share it. And I don't know who it's for in here, but it's for somebody. Sometimes the children you impact will be the ones to experience the harvest from the seeds you planted. Sometimes the children you impact will be the ones to experience the harvest from the seeds you planted. If you'll turn to 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 17, and I'll show you a scriptural basis for this. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 17 through 19. When the Lord gave me this, I was like, that's kind of strange, but I, I can see now that it all fits together. It says there that my father David had it in his heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, because it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well to have this in your heart. But, David, you are not the one to build the temple. But your son, who is your own flesh and blood, he is the one who will build the temple for my name. Now, we all know David. Did David love God? Did David love the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant? Did David work his whole life to build, to build freedom for the city of Jerusalem and for the nation of Israel so that he could build a, ter, a, a permanent habitation for the presence of God? Did he work his whole life for that? Did he fight battle after battle and do th- exploit after exploit to offer this opportunity for God's presence and for the temple to be? He did. But God told him, you will not be the one who will build the temple. Your son Solomon will. But I want to go back to David. And Solomon did build the temple. But did David, was David obedient in everything that he did? Did he work hard to provide everything for his son to build the temple? Let me show you a picture of the temple here. Solomon used the items that David, his father, had accumulated in order to build the temple. His dad worked his whole life to accumulate these things, but he wasn't able to see the harvest, but his son did. One of the great things about this temple, Solomon's temple, of course, we have no picture of it. It was built in 1000 B.C. Also, it was the most grand building, if the scriptures are correct, which I believe they are, that was ever built on this planet. David had accumulated gold and silver to be used in this temple, The ceiling, the walls, the floor, the articles, everything was layered in gold. I'll give you an estimation. I've pulled up the the tons of gold, tons of gold that are listed in Chronicles, and I figured based on the troy ounce of gold today what it's worth. It was worth one, two, eight, six, four, zero, 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 zero. Twelve billion, eight hundred and sixty-four million dollars worth of gold that David had set aside and accumulated his whole life for the building of the temple, and every bit of it was used to build this temple for God's reputation. The silver that David had accumulated that he wasn't able to use, but his son Solomon used, was worth over $426,720,000. 
This building, just the gold and silver, which doesn't include the stones, it doesn't include the bronze, it doesn't include the other items that were used, just the gold and silver value is over $13.2 billion to build this temple. And this temple, the floor, it goes about four stories. The floor of it would have been about the size of this group of chairs right here. David was obedient. And he worked hard in that obedience. But his son saw the harvest. When you're obedient unto God, you can't see the future. You just walk in obedience. God has a plan and God is smarter than we are. Amen? Amen. Put a smile on your face. And realize that even in the midst of what you're doing now, even if it's difficult, if you know you're being obedient to God, then He's going to work it all out. Have faith. Take that step of risk. Know that God has your back. Know that God has your back and it's all going to work out in the end. Psalms 112 verse 1. If you'll turn there, I'm going to end on this psalm. Psalm 112 verses 1 through 3. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in His commands. His children and her children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his or her house, and his righteousness, his legacy, endures forever. Will you stand with me, please? Thanks again for listening to Live Church of Mobile's podcast. Our services are held on Sundays at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. If you would like to find out more about our church, you can visit us at livechurchmobile.com.